Turkaholics and welcome back to Football Ella Turka. This is season two, episode twelve for match day twelve in the Turkish Super League, coming off of the international break in which Turkey, of course, qualified for Euro 2020 after a nil-nil draw with Iceland and a two-nil win against Andorra. My name is Kam Bayezid and I'm joined once again by Umut Nadere, Jakub Marofol, no man of the Lobrak. Sizgin as he is still on his way back from the States, but Uzer Dinger has graced us with his presence. Uzer, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? <laughs> oh, it's good to be back. It's good to be home. I've been, uh, I've been polishing my radio face for television, in fact. And uh, I, I, um, I had a few appearances on Tele to World on their show Beyond the Game, uh, which is on every Monday at 6.30 GMT. Uh, just been talking about Galatasaray initially on three weeks ago about the Real Madrid game. I uh, I wasn't too optimistic and I was pretty uh, pretty transparent about that at the time. Uh, and then two following uh, shows where I talked about the Turkish national team, which is obviously a lot more uh, positive, a lot brighter note. So um, they haven't invited me back this week, I guess, because I'm going to drown the show in a lot more negativity. <laughs> 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 well, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we do so, let's quickly hit uh, some news uh, that's happened in Turkish football over the week. So the first news bite I have is Kayserispor have actually made history by appointing the first ever female club president. Her name is Berna Guzbashe. Um, she had an interesting quote today, I think. Uh, Umut uh, shared it with us that she do- didn't really understand the offside rule, but uh, as long as the players understand it, it's okay or something like that. Um, it does not inspire a lot of confidence. Uh, and uh, <laughs> some more stuff here with, with Kayseri Spore and uh, some other involved clubs. In fact, FIFA Pro have warned players f- before signing with Turkish clubs due to financial difficulties, in particular, Karabuk Spore. Bursa Spor, Antalya Spor, Kayseri Spor, Elaza Spor, Ankara Gücü and Eskişehir. Those clubs in particular, they have uh, warned players for before joining them to have a lawyer properly go over the contracts and stuff like that. But in general, we know, of course, that uh, the hurt is being put on Turkish clubs a little bit due to the economy the last two years. Um, it's not just these clubs for sure. There's, the big clubs are affected, as we all know. We know all too well. But uh, this is pretty serious. Uh, the, the, the players' union, Fifth Pro, warning players ahead of signing for these clubs. But uh, we'll have to wait and see if it has any impact. Uh, any thoughts on that, gentlemen? Yeah, as if as if Turkish self mismanagement wasn't bad enough. Mm-hmm. Now that there's this layer of pressure on top as well, it's going to be difficult for Turkish clubs in the near future. I think. Definitely. And if you want to uh, read the full statement, uh, we'll tweet out a link later um, or uh, something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll tweet out the link on uh, the official Twitter account of uh, Football Al Turka so you can check it out for yourself. Let's move over to football, though. Let's move over to the Super League that returned from the international break with match day 12 in the 2019-2020 season. And on Friday, we started off with Galatasaray hosting Başakşehir. Galatasaray would lose this match for the first time in 930 days in the Turkish Super League, at least. Um, well, you know, 930 days since their last defeat. That was 41 league games ago. Um, on May 6, 2017, Galatasaray lost at home against Kasim Pasha 1-3. So it's been a, quite a long time since uh, Galatasaray has tasted the agony of defeat in the Turkish League. 
but uh, it would happen here against Basakci here as Frederik Gulbranson scored the only goal of the match in the 78 minutes. And Uzer, you weren't invited back on TRT to talk about this this week, but you are invited <laughs> on Football Alterca. Yes. Vent away, my friends. <laughs> Well, it's, it's unfortunate that this was the first game because it means we're going to start the show off on a downer. But, um, I mean, Galatasaray's form generally this season has been pretty abysmal. European record has been uh, catastrophic, to say the least. But we had at least one um, glorious streak that kept us going a little bit, in, in the domestic league at least, and that was the 41 unbeaten home record, which is pretty impressive by any means. But now that is gone... And I'm looking around to see positives at Galatasaray and I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing any spark, any indication that we're going to turn any corner anytime soon. Um, as well as losing the game, of course, we failed to score again. And I think I've lost count now of how many games we've gone without scoring. I mean, I just miss celebrating a goal, you know. I miss that spontaneous excitement, that jumping for joy, that screaming, that running around the room, that spilling of beer all over the place. I haven't seen it anywhere. And... Looking ahead at the Bruges game, I don't know where the goal is going to come from. I mean, my only hope really is that Jagne pops up and scores an own goal. That's the only way we're going to end up celebrating a goal in that game, I think. I'm very uh, pessimistic about our chances in that match too. Um, thinking ahead back to this, this game though, I mean, we actually did have a few decent chances. Fergoli had a few good chances in the first half and one in the second uh, I think we recorded 12 shots on target, which is quite impressive uh, by our own standards, um, but not really saying much beyond that. Um, and I think, who is who do we point the finger to this time? Well, um, I think the last time I was on the show, which would have been about three weeks ago, I would have gone to my classic scapegoat, Belhanda. Um, he didn't start the game this time. So when I saw the uh, starting lineup, I thought, well, at least that's one thing that we don't, I don't have to worry about. But I think... The tide has turned in recent weeks. It's become pretty clear that the the man who faces the blame is none other than Fatih Terim, whose squad selection, his tactics, his reasoning, everything about him is just completely off form. Um, and his failure to inject the team with youngsters or even just fresh names has really cost cost the momentum of the fans and has really uh, cost his own credibility in the eyes of the fans as well. Um, he came out in the press conference yesterday ahead of the Bruges game and basically pleaded with the fans to support Belhanda uh, in, the, in the coming game. I think really it's too little too late from him pleading with the fans at, at this stage. It makes him look very desperate. It makes us look very desperate. And it puts actually a lot more pressure on Belhanda as well. So I think together the, the two guys are kind of complementing each other well in terms of that scapegoat route. Um, but we're just not playing good enough football. Um, we could, of course talk about the ridiculously long list of injuries. I think we've got 10 injured or yeah. at least ineligible players for Tuesday's game. I mean, Linus... Uh, and and this game too, Jimmy, you played with, a, not, with and, a C and this team. Game, right, yeah, of course. With the C team, yeah. If that. Um, if, if that, really. If that. And now looking ahead, Babel is injured. Um, Louis and Dama, of course, got injured in the international break and didn't play at the weekend. I mean, we signed 12 new players at the summertime. We were celebrating. Things looked so rosy. We were back-to-back champions. We signed Falcao. 12 new players. And now we have 11 ineligible players for Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We had to play a C team at the weekend against Bashakshahir. And I think, really, um, we could say that 
the new school, i.e., the the young generation of of, of uh, coaches, is we're seeing them kind of uh, really do one over on the old school of coaches these days. Well, Okambaru definitely did that to Terry. I think his tactics were spot on. His squad selection. Remember that he had to play uh, Gul Gulbanson, who's, who's who ended up scoring the goal, who who isn't by any means the first choice for Bashakshi. He's doing all the right things, Okambaruk, and I think in in his mind he probably has that his eyes on the Galatasaray job one day in the future. And I think he's doing all the right things from his own um, perspective to try and get into the, the candidacy for that role. I just think that Terim is is flagging a lot, very very off form, has a lot of excuses through injury and what have you, but. It's ultimately down to poor planning, poor tactics and poor decision-making, um, even within the game as well. Because if you look at the substitutions, Faguli came off against, uh, in the 76th minute, he was probably our best player on the field. Uh, Yusuf Nagatomo and Belhanda came on in the 86th. We're already 1-0 down. What, what impact are these guys going to have in the last four minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, I think just it's just it's he's just clutching at straws, desperation all over the shop. And if we cannot get three points against Baruch, then things are going to be very difficult for him in the run-up to Christmas. Um, I tweeted back at the start of summer the nightmare scenario for Gala. That is, no Falcao, um, embarrassment in the Champions League, embarrassment in the domestic league will only result in Terim's dismissal or his, his resignation. I mean, we have Falcao, but Falcao's nowhere to be seen, so it's essentially the same as no Falcao. And I think that doomsday scenario is reaching ever closer so Tuesday is a huge huge obstacle for Gala yeah uh, for sure difficult times for Gala right? they're going through a crisis I think it's safe to say um, but like you said yeah plenty of injuries here and it's, it's curious to see that pretty much every club this season has been hit by the injury bug uh, Besiktas had to deal with a lot of injuries in the beginning of the season up until just recently, really. Uh, Trabzonspor have had some serious injury blows, in particular with Abdulkadir Omer being out for a long period of time. And then they had a couple of shorter-term injuries. Fortunately for them, most of those guys have returned now, but still, they got hit by it. Uh, Fenerbahce will be talking about that a little later. They got hit by the injury bug, too. They are basically rendered without striker, just like Galtzray, uh are right now. Uh, for their match this week, with, with Vera Muric being out, Mevut Erdinj being out, um, and Max Kruse was already out for a while, and we've we've seen it with the with, with all the big clubs really. Uh, Bashakshir have been spared pretty much from from injuries, um, and then of course Alanya, Sivaspor, they haven't really had much injuries to deal with, but they're at the top of the table, so I'm mentioning them. But the big three uh, or the big four. Uh, they've all dealt with uh, a lot of injuries this season, it feels like. And maybe it has a little bit to do with the age of players. Maybe it's a little coincidence too. I don't know. But it's difficult to win a match against an informed team like Bishakshi here uh, when you're dealing with that kind of, of, of thing. I mean, it's a little extreme if you look at the players that Galtry missed over the weekend. Um, and I was actually, honestly, the, the squad selection Okamburuk came up with, I wasn't too impressed. I thought he was very defensive. I think he started like three defensive midfielders. Um, I think that against the team that Galtry were forced to field, he should have been a little bit more confident and showed a little bit more uh, yeah, attitude, maybe a little bit more confidence in his own ability or, or his team's ability to win it. I, I felt that... They kind of stole it because I think Galtzray had the better chances 
all in all. There was like one really good chance for Crivelli, I think. But like you said, uh, there was in the first half, there was that uh, Umer Bayram free kick, I think, that almost went in. Um, and then, of course, you had the Figuli chance in the second half that was really close to... Galatasaray could have won this match. This was one of those games where I think whoever scored, got the first goal, will probably get the win. And uh, because Galatasaray yeah. didn't score, Bashakshir hit them on the br- at, at some point late in the match. But I wasn't too impressed with Bashakshir, if I'm quite honest. Well, this this was one of those games where Galatasaray probably on balance played better, although created nothing and scored nothing, but probably played better, but still ended up losing. Whereas at the start of the season, there were a lot of games where Gala played pretty bad and ended up still getting the three points. So I think it's it's key here that our kind of our luck has turned against us as well. That's one of against one of the better teams in the league, of course. So if you don't, yeah. The scoring issue, uh, I, I actually went over it just now. I think, I might have counted wrong, but I think that Galtry have failed to score in 10 games already this season. Um, and we're 12 games into the league season and then 3 or 4 in Europe? 4 in Europe, so 16 uh, official yeah. so sixteen official games t- and in 10 of those they yeah. failed to score, I think. That's uh, It seems extreme, actually. I might have counted I mean, wrong, but I think it was... That's pretty t- scandalous. Yeah. Uh, Umut, uh, what what did you think of this match? It's difficult maybe to crucify Terim given the cards he was dealt due to the injuries. What did you think of the performance? Well, uh, just before the game, I was quite shocked. The fact that Arduturan came by the bench and kissed, Fa- kissed Fatim's hand and like in a Godfather style and hugged him. like, And I was thinking that, is he like searching for a door to... Came back to Galatasaray again. Oh, I hate that idea because I don't want it to happen because we are already uh, just suffering from old, old players and injuries. And this kind of player with this kind of ideology with no work ethic at all, uh, I hate that. No, I don't want him to come, but whatever. So, uh, as you said, uh, Okanburg came out with a defensive formation with Mehmet Topal in the middle and Mahmoud Tekdemir and uh, Azubuke yeah, uh, uh, surrounding him. And also he played Yufanjan Kahvici as a flank winger, uh, switching sides with uh, Edin Wischer time to time during the game. And also the goal came from his switch with Edin Wischer. He was at the right-hand side. When he assisted the goal, uh, Frederick Gulbrandsson scored a great goal, and uh, because of his run to the uh, defensive third, and we like that because no none of our players do that kind of runs uh, when we have the position of the ball. Uh, they just wait on the uh, field and want the ball in their feet, uh, and that kind of static. Uh, ideology we have like uh, not moving around roaming around off the ball runs are lacking and we need some spark of it and none of it ever happens because i think it comes with the age and the athleticism of the player and we don't see that from none of the bubble or mariano or feguli as well uh, even emre Moore doesn't do it i don't know why uh, he's I think it's uh, because of his uh, lack of knowledge of the game, know-how. Uh, 
so uh, we started the game without our uh, uh, main players, officially, uh, of course. Uh, none of the strikers are original strikers, so Adam Buk and Babel played, tried to play on all, and I hope they would do better because they played with each other, like uh, side by side in Kasım Pasha at the time for uh, like two years or so, I don't know. I hope to be them to be better than what they quite showed during the game, but it was devastating. They didn't got a chance inside the box. Like the only chances we got from Fehuli or like Emir Bayram and Emir Tashdim's efforts. And uh, I hated Mariana do, uh, this game. Like he was uh, just horrendous. Like uh, couldn't catch. Like. During the goal of the Başakşehir, uh, he couldn't like turn back and uh, catch Gulbrand and in his flank, and he failed to do it. He, he just uh, uh, Gulbrand was just free and all to score a goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I couldn't say like uh, more to it because also the Fatim attempt of substitution was too late, as as I said, like. What are you expecting from a substitution you make from like 86 minutes? Like you have like only five or six minutes to go maximum. Uh, and a quality defending team like Başak here, yeah, you won't get any chance for it. Mm-hmm. So that's that. And uh, let's say scouting ahead, who's going to be the successor to Fatih Terim? Ozer just said Okan Buruk could be a candidate in the future. Did he impress you in this match tactically? Did you think that he made the right decisions going for a more defensive lineup? Um, do you think that the ultimate victory is thanks to his uh, tactical input, or is it more a little bit of chance? Uh, yeah, it could be both. But you know, uh, football is a double-sided sword. Like if you mm. make the mistake. You're gonna concede, and uh, in fact, the uh, mistake came from our Lemina at the time, who was playing really well, actually, but taking a little bit of risks down there in the defensive uh, sides. And as we are building up the attack, he lost the ball, and he just rushed into the uh, opponent there, like uh, trying to make up his mistake. But as Fatem said during the press conference, like. You shouldn't be like rushing into the opponent like that, and you should be like patient. Uh, if you lose the ball, that's okay. You should be like uh, uh, protecting your position there, and so uh, you don't give any gaps or a free space to your opponents afterwards. But you just uh, get too like uh, like not composed enough for it. So rushed into Irfan Jan, and Irfan Jan is a quality foot and. He just passed him and made the assist great. Uh, so what Okanbrook is after uh, after was just he was patient. Uh, the lineup he brought down the field was showing it. But he he just played patient and got the goal because I think that was a kind of match uh, for doing that purpose. And uh, Jakub. Let's uh, look at, at Ryan Babel for a second. When we see him play for the Netherlands uh, in the last 
Um, I think he's been with the national team again for like one and a half year now, and he's being played uh, very frequently as a striker for the Netherlands. Why does Ryan Babel function as a striker for Holland, but can't seem to carry that uh, same load for for Galtzray? What do you think is the main difference? Um, I mean, the the really easy answer is that the Dutch national team is much much better than the current Galtzray team. Uh, the team has a lot of passing players, you know, they, they get in a lot of positions and um, they have a lot of uh, facey wingers. So he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of balls. So um, he, he has it easy with, with the Dutch national team because he can, you know, he can rely on other players to take the, take the heat off of him. You know, when you're, when you have a Depay, uh, when you have a Frankie de Jong, uh, you, you just seem to forget about the player called, uh, called Babo, you know, um, he seems to like disappear into the crowd when he plays with the Dutch team. So um, the pressure probably on him with the Dutch team is much lower because, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, fans don't really think um, too much of him. They do like him. Uh, it it, it kind of surprises me that the Dutch crowd really likes him, but they don't have a lot of pressure on, on, on him as on him per se, you know, because there are a lot of young players that are just waiting to put, to be put in the squad. So I think that um, with the intense pressure that Galatasaray, has, Galatasaray is having now, with uh, with the bad results, with all the injuries, um, Falcao's situation pretty much hanging over them as a like super dark cloud. I think pretty much every player is really um, really tense at the moment, and I think that backfires on a player like Babel, even though he should have he should be pretty easy in those situations because he has a he has a he has had a long career and played for really big teams. But I think that's one of the problems. Um, so um, maybe the pressure that is put on put on them by the fans, by the media a little bit, and uh, I think just um, it, it's a little bit harder to play uh, as a striker for Galatasaray than it is for the Dutch national team. And what I'm gathering from that is maybe, and I recognize it too from his time in Besiktas, is that Babel's a very useful player when there's quality around him. When he's not the guy that people are looking to to make the difference he will make the difference when he's part of a, a machine so to speak when he's a, a well-oiled cog in said machine but i think at galtry right now because there's maybe a little bit of a lack of creativity because there's a lack of good football as Uzer said and uh, there's too much being expected from individuals perhaps maybe a bubble to drag them over the finish line like other players have done in the last couple of years with, with Gomis, Onyekuru, um, Snyder in the past, guys who could, with individual quality, could bang out, you know, find that goal, make the difference even when they were playing bad. Pavel has actually scored quite a few goals already for, for Galtzray this season, but maybe a little bit too much responsibility is being put on his shoulders uh, with the creative outlets of the team being predominantly... I would say him, Feguli and Belhanda, and and I think he and 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 Belhanda aren't particularly uh, creative players necessarily. Is I mean, in my oh, in sorry, my I, opinion, yeah, in my opinion, yeah, I, I I just think that Galtzright does have a lot of you know talented players, but I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's if it's just you know if, if something is wrong. Um, they are all really talented, but in my opinion, the only player that I do really like at Galatasaray at the moment is Feguli. Mm-hmm. He seems to be the only player that really can do what he wants to do. 
and the other players, it, it seems like they don't have the confidence when they are on the ball, and you can see them just hoping that they get a goal, because then a little bit of the pressure will be, you know, lifted off their shoulders, and with you know, with big games like the game against Barcelona, and next week they are going to play against Trabzonspor. You know, I, I I just see him going on a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, anything you'd like I, to add? I, I, I t- yeah, no, I, I agree with that analysis as well. I mean, uh, I can't see anything picking up anytime soon, unless unless there is a really positive result in the Champions League midweek. Mm-hmm. Then I think the um, the immediate future is looking pretty bleak for Gal. We've got a pretty tough run of fixtures in the run up to Christmas, including, of course, the trip to Paris. Um, and to your further point about the, I think about the individuals, I think Terim has historically always relied on individual brilliance to win games, and mo- much more so than any sort of tactical or system that he puts into place that's kind of runs on any fluidity. So I think the problem is now that we have these, for some reason, unmotivated or in some cases crap individuals, then we're just not getting the results. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, we've spoken quite a bit about Galt's right here. Uh, quickly on Bishakshir, guys, they continue to impress. They had a very bad start to the season. Okamburuk managed to get the train back on track, and, and they haven't really looked back ever since. They've gone on a really good run. Uh, they're one of the more informed teams in the league. We we kind of counted them out of the title picture in the beginning of the season after five, six games or so. But I guess we'll have to uh, revisit that opinion because they are looking like one of the maybe three most formidable sides in the league right now. Do you think they can keep it up? Jakub, uh, you as Trabzonspor fan, they're one of your main competitors, I'd say, right now. What do you think? Um, I mean, it was, it was um, I think we talked about it like uh, in, in the beginning of the season, um, the quality at at Bashakshir was always there, you know, they didn't lose a lot of players. Um and um the quality was always there. I think it was just in the beginning it was a little bit of time for um to try and figure it out figure it out all the way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um they 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 have been playing really well. Um I really like that they that they are like the only team in Europe to have a win and actually do well. Yeah, and two, yeah. um yeah two even and um yeah, I can see this. I can see this going on. I think that um, the lack of pressure at Basakshir is the is the reason why uh, the players seem to thrive. You know, they don't really have a lot of a lot of pressure on them, so they can even if they have a bad game or two, they can just you know they can just shrug it up and keep on playing. But I think that the most important thing that could decide how how this season will end for him, for them, is is if. Um, if Okamburuk is going to leave, you know, um, you talked about a little bit that maybe he might go to Gostray if uh, Fatsiterim is gone. Um, I think that they still could get, you know, a pretty decent trainer in- instead of him, you know. But um, with the with the winter break, I don't know if a training if, if a trainer um, change is is a good uh, is, a, is a good decision if it happens, and how that would I think it might have uh, it might impact the team in a negative way. But if mm-hmm. if Okanbrook doesn't go, uh, barring you know big injuries or something, I can't see them you know dropping off of the title race. Okay, let's move on to uh, Saturday with Denizli Spor Rizespor. Uh, Denizli Spor beating Chaiku Rizespor here in uh, the last couple of minutes of the match because uh, the only well 
there's two goals in this game. The match ended 2-0. But the first goal of the match didn't fall until the 86th minute from Oscar Estupinian on a corner kick for the Nizlispor. And then in the second minute of stoppage time, uh, Radoslav Muravsky converted a penalty. And three golden points for the Nizlispor, who of course came out of their uh, loss uh, to Besiktas last week. Um, the Nizlispor pick up three valuable points. Umut, what were the highlights of this match for you? Well, there's two penalty calls, which uh, the first was uh, overruled and taken away by a uh, VAR decision, as the ball like uh, bounced, like kicked into the player's arm, but uh, defender was too close, so uh, I think Halil Umut Meller was the referee, so he decided to just... Uh, Turn it away and uh, let the play go on after the war decision. And uh, I think it's because too close that it, he didn't have the chance to take his arm away. So uh, and, yeah, and that was for Riza Spore, just for the record. Yeah, uh, that was for Riza Spore. And uh, Ismail Kartal started the game uh, by benching his, I think, his best player, who is Morozyuk. Uh, these mm-hmm. times, but he just put uh, a center midfielder, Abdullah Durak, there at the start of the game. I don't understand why. And uh, most of the Denizpor attacks came from that side to the Rizespor goal. And after seeing that kind of chance, uh, Denizpor manager decided to put on Barrow, who is a really fast and pacey winger, uh, decided to use it and uh, at the time of that, uh, Ismail Kartal decided to put Morozik there, but even though uh, Morozik is a good player technically in ability wise, uh, he doesn't have the uh, like fast uh, running speed uh, to catch a player like Barrow. Yeah, the pace, Barrow, and so he's too fast and he gets into the positions uh, and. Rizespor's uh, having Rizespor players having hard time like catching it, and the s- second penalty call came out that way. Like Barrow uh, ran past Rizespor backs uh, Melniak, and he decided to cross it, and uh, the ball bounced in front of the box, and the uh, the referee just started the game and uh, looked back at the war review. Uh, the ball just hit to the arm of the sliding player there. I think it's a rough goal because mm-hmm. he, he just, yeah, it's a sliding play. You know, he doesn't have anywhere other to put the arm. You know, he's in a, he's already in a awkward shape. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, also the other player, he, there, there were two sliding players at the time. So, other player was just behind him. Like, if he his arm wasn't there, he was already going to hit the other player with his leg. So, I think this penalty goal was a harsh decision, but uh, yeah. yeah, the goal came in uh, as well, and the uh, the game ended two 0 Yeah, I, I felt it was kind of a flattering win, maybe. Although I do agree, Barrow definitely um, was uh, the man that caused a lot of issues for 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 Rize, uh, for Denise Spor against Rize, of course. Uh, guys, what did you think of of that penalty? What do you think of a sliding tackle where the ball accidentally hits the arm? Um, when it's a, if, if it's a shot at goal, we know the rules now. It has to go to the penalty spot. But this did seem a little harsh. I don't think 
they gained any advantage of that. And I know that's not part of the rule, but I, I always kind of feel like that should go and factor into the interpretation of the referee, whether the attacking team uh, or the defensive team rather actually gains an advantage by an accidental handball or not. Uh, Jakub, what did you think of this position? Um, I haven't seen the position, so just give me a second and just uh, get to get to us there. Just give okay. me a second. Uzer, what did you think of it? Uzer? Um... <laughs> the, sli- the slide, uh, the penalty for the Nisley Sport, did you, uh, did you catch that? Well, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't catch it, I'm afraid. I was delinquent on that one for my homework. <laughs> the okay, thing is, uh, okay, I got it. also, even the Riza Sport uh, players and the uh, Dennis Sport players, n- none of them were just arguing for the penalty. They, were, they did, haven't realized it's been hard, hit to the hand. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, just, just taking a quick look, um, I think it was a penalty because you know, yeah, I I kind of get both sides. I get I get that you can't slide for a ball like that with, without you know getting your arms on the pitch, but on the other side, you know he he does block off um, a big portion of the ball. You know, yeah, but there's another player just behind of him. Like you know, if the ball doesn't hit his arm, it's gonna already like uh, hit to the other player. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I I actually think you know. Uh, the penalty was given, so I think that you know I can get why that is given. But if it wasn't given, I I also would understand um, why it wasn't given to say so. You know, because it, yeah, it's, it's, it's let, a bit let, difficult. It's really quick. It's really a fast ball. You know, and I don't know. It's a, it's a hard decision for. I think uh, like decisions like these are why some of the referees are uh, are scared to you know do something. And now that we have VAR, just depend on VAR and. I don't think like uh, there's like one clear decision for for positions like this. I think it's a letter of the law. You have to probably point to the spot, but it's it's yes, a harsh penalty. It, it doesn't feel one hundred percent right. Some of the refs should like go on their common senses, you know. Yeah, but I think if they if they make a wrong decision, where they let's say that the the referee commission says, "Look, uh, no, 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 no," yeah, because you can just I don't know. He also right, cancelled the first one, you know. Yeah, but the first one, I think that was correct to cancel, if I'm honest. I yeah. mean, that was very short. Uh, that was ball to hand, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that, that referees maybe are also... I, I, we've seen this, uh, lots of the referees getting their licenses revoked um, after making mistakes. I think refs are maybe a little bit... Uh, afraid to to make mistakes and uh, maybe are therefore being a little bit over anal in uh, certain positions like this for example maybe uh, but right. a great win for the Nisley Spore both teams remain in the belly of the the league table with 14 points apiece they're kind of having very similar seasons i feel like where I don't really know what to expect from either team, if I'm quite honest. Like one week, Riza get a really good win, and then the next week they just lose without a chance, it seems like. Uh, same thing really with the Nisley Sport. Like they, they have their good games, but then they have like serious down periods too. Like they're very fluctuating in terms of form, both of them really. I, I really don't know what to expect of them, either of them. I could, I could see them by the end of the season, both of these teams being involved in the relegation battle. But at the same time, they could end in the left column. Uh, because they're just so unpredictable right now, it feels like. 
Uh, let's move over to the next match. That's Ankara Gücü Trabzonspor. On paper, perhaps the weakest team of the league, Ankara Gücü. I think they have had a good season so far, given their circumstances. Um, but they should be not uh, too much of a challenge for Trabzonspor heading into this match as the, the mindset I think most people had and that turned out to be right as Trabzonspor made quick work of Ankara Gücü beating them 3-0 in Ankara. The first goal coming from Alexander Sörlov in the fifth minute and then a red card for Ricardo Fati. Two yellows in the span of three minutes in the 43rd and the first half uh, first minute of first half stoppage time he got sent off and that resulted in uh, a little bit of an escalating scoreline as soon as the ball got rolling again in the second half because Yusuf Sare made it 2-0 from the edge of the area really nice goal from the youngster and then Anthony Nwakaemi made it 3-0 in the 56th minute so within the hour it was already 3-0 and the three points were in the back for Trabzonspor Jakub, I know you were once again at work. Uh, you seem to uh, do this on purpose, but uh, I'm sure you've uh, watched it back since. And what did you think of your Trabzonspor's performance in Ankara? Yeah, I unfortunately was working, but um, I did um, try to follow the game, even though I couldn't watch the game. Um, I'm, I'm happy for the result. I'm really happy because um, even though, as you said, on paper, Ankara is one of the one of the uh, lesser teams in the league. I know from experience that uh, Trabzonspor generally has a problem with teams like this uh, because I think they get a little bit a uh, little bit too overconfident and that backfires uh, like massively. Um, I remember the game this season we had against uh, against Rizespor that we won two one. I guess uh, I rem- if I remember collect- correctly, and um, I think that this was a game like that. Um, it was like a game that we we needed to win and um the team the team really performs well i'm i'm really happy that it looks like uh, some of the um some of the injured players are are starting to come back like slowly um it was it was nice to see obi Mikel again on the pitch he's a he's a really nice player he had the the first couple of games that he played was really awful and i'm so happy that he seems to have re- uh, have found his form again um on the other side um that this game, uh, you know, Karaman tried Hosseini at midfield. Um, I didn't hear any bad things about him. Um, generally, Hosseini is really liked in the in the Trabzonspor fan base. So um, him playing out of out of position and uh, still not getting a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of lack over him. Um, I'm really happy for that for him because he's one of my favorite players on the team, and it's it's nice to see the team you know perform re- really well. Um, as for the for the game in general. Um, I'm I'm happy that uh, Hussein played a great game. Uh, Hussein is, uh, as we talked about a little bit, he's he he has the potential to be a good player. He he, in my opinion, is a good player, but he could be a great player, bar some of his mistakes that he makes some of the times. Um, he had a crucial uh, crucial um, interception in this game um, against I think Orgil, and um, the team is 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 really doing well. I'm I'm happy to see Sosa back on the pitch. Uh, Serlot was is back on the uh, on the scoreboard with a really great uh, really great goal. Got the got the ball on like the uh, half of the pitch and just ran his ass off. Uh, it's really amazing to see a guy of his length, you know, move as. It's misleading as he can. speed that you have uh, referred to in the past. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really happy with him. Um, I, I you know I'll, you also know that I wasn't uh, like the biggest fan of Yusuf Sada because um, mm-hmm. he seems like a one dimensional player. 
but this game he really showed that he can um, that he can play uh, high quality football. So I think um, I, I spoke a little bit too soon. Um, I hope it was just the like the jitters of the first couple of matches, uh, like uh, you know playing for a big team as Trabzonspor, and that he seems to have found his uh, found his regular form. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the penalty, was it uh, just a quick question? Uh, was yeah. it Yusuf on, on at some point? I think it was uh, at one nil in the first half. Uh, one of the Trabzonspor players broke through on the left, and then he like flicked it into the near post where Serlov almost got to it. Was that Yusuf as well? Uh, I don't know for sure. I I think it was. I, I think, think it was, was too. And I I really liked the little flick pass that he gave. Um, and I've seen. I don't remember which game it was. Like I think one or two games ago, where he really impressed me. Like his crossing. He's not just blindly crossing it. You know, he's not just uh, Roberto Hilbert running down to the touchline and then trying to just ram it into the box and hope somebody runs against it. I I feel like he keeps the overview pretty well. Uh, I think he's he's. I don't know. I, I really see something in him. I don't think he's just a Yusuf Erdogan, um, you know, like a little bit of a headless chicken dribbler. I, I think he's a different type of player that uh, has a little bit more to him, a little bit of intelligence. And uh, yeah, I, I could see him uh, amounting to something, if I'm quite honest. But of course, like you say, he's young, still a ways to go. But I like what I'm seeing from him for sure. Yeah, I mean, after after um, we had, like, I, I would call it a discussion, we talked about it, you and I, and... Um... We were on we were on different sides of the argument. You know, you liked him, I didn't. And um, since then, I see I, I tried to look a little bit more uh, more at him when he's playing. And um, yeah, he seems to he seems to do really well. Um, he makes you know, good he's runs a, intelligently. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tiny player. He's he's a little bit too too um, easily shoved off the ball. But you know that 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 is something that can be worked on. You know, with a little bit of more weight training. Otherwise, he really tries his best. He's he's like much better than Avdijaj. I I still think that Avdijaj <laughs> can be useful. But, yeah, I like um, him too. <laughs> Maybe not for Trabzonspor though, but I <laughs> no, don't think he's a Trabzonspor level player. But I think he could be really good for an Ankaragücü or something. Yeah. I mean, I think we have a lot of we we have uh, a lot of facey players on the wing. You know, with Ekuban returning, um, with Abdulkadir being uh, being like two or three months away. Uh, there is going to be, you know, a big, a big fight for the positions, you know, for left, or for left winger and right winger. So it, it can only be good to have too many players that can, that can, you know, be pacey and get the ball into the to the forwards, you know. Um, as for the game, um, the 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 decision that was talked about a lot in this game on Twitter, um, I, I I I I've seen a, a couple of Trabzonspor fan sites um, talk about it. Was the penalty? I I think Dre Chakra might made the right decision. Um, it didn't look like it hit his uh, arm. Yeah, yeah. It lo- it looked like it, it, it hit his chest. So it is what it is. Yeah, um, well, didn't I didn't think that was a penalty. No, I don't think it was a penalty. Um, as for um, like like one of the biggest things in the game was the was the red card for uh, Fati. I yeah. I thought it was really a, a dumb decision of him. You know, two quick quick. Two quick mm-hmm. yellow cards, and they were both, in my opinion, correct yellow cards. Um, there was no need to do it, and um, he pretty much fucked the team over, and that led to uh, yeah. that led to you know Trabzonspor barging over them. You know, at the end of the first half, giving away a man that just isn't a yeah. good thing to do. Yeah, I didn't think Ankaragücü were too bad in the first half. They had some opportunities. Uh, in fact, Trabzonspor were playing mainly counter football in the first half. 
Uh, and I think Ankaragücü had a decent... Uh, of course, I mean, suffer, conceding that early goal put a little bit of a, a stick in their wheels, but I think they played a decent first half, but as soon as they gave up that man, you just knew that Trabzonspor uh, had this in the bag. I mean, generally, uh, uh, you know, Karaman doesn't start the game with a lot of pressing. Um, I remember I was doing it against Galatasaray, like, uh, I don't know, if it was last year or this year, um, it, because it doesn't really work, you know. Uh, we have some some shoddy defenders sometimes, and um, it, it might lead to, a, lead to a, a quick goal. So, like, the last half year, um, we start the game pretty passive. You know, we let, the, we let the opponent come to us if you're playing away. And if we're playing at home, we're just trying to, you know, be, be slow and methodical, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, if, you play, if you play this kind of football against a team that is, like, in the bottom three of, uh, bottom three of the table... You seem to kind of get overrun a bit because they are really trying their ass off to get out of the relegation zone, and then you could you could see that in this game. You know, Ankara just tried their best, but um, after a while, when the team is is, is starting to get into the, into their national natural uh, positions, the the game starts to flow for Trabzonspor, and you you can see that because all the the midfield starts to re- starts to regain the control of the ball, and after that, it's just you know get get it to the wingers and just attack, you know, and it, it, it works with Trumps for a lot. Um, lastly, I, I don't want to ramble on too long for this game. Um, there was one position with Yusuf Sado where he got the ball like on the mid, mid, midfield line and he dribbled the ball like 45, 50 meters and um, Charlotte made like cutting run uh, to the other side. I thought that could result in a goal. I really would have loved that. Um, but you, you know you can say that um, because it was a pretty long run and it was like I think the 70 minute, 17th minute. Um, you can kind of excuse it, but um, those kind of positions should go in. Um, otherwise, not a lot to say to be honest. Um, I'm I'm happy to see that um, we won a game. You know, be, uh, before the big game against Galatasaray, we do need a win. You know, to keep the moral high. Um, all the injured players seem to return. There is uh, there is a little bit of talk saying that uh, um, saying that Ekoban might play next week. I don't know if he will start. He probably he will probably start on the bench. But um, we got the three points. Um, I'm happy with it. I hope that um, we can extend this uh, winning streak next week. Okay, let's move over to the final match on Saturday. That was Konya Sport Besiktas. And uh, the biggest talking point I think we're going to have in this match is the disallowed goal for Konyaspor, which came after just like a minute or so into the match. Uh, I couldn't believe it when I was watching. I was like going into the match with a good feeling. Bestes with a decent form recently. All injured players returned um, and a strong looking lineup. And uh, I know traditionally Konya is a very difficult away game for us. We haven't won there since 2014. So... You know, it's one of those matches where you just need to make sure you don't concede a, a stupid goal or something. And after just a couple of seconds into the match, like 60 seconds or so into it, I don't remember exactly, uh, it was 1-0 already. I was like, oh my, I was swearing, I was fuming. And then I saw the replay and I was like, wait a second. That guy's like blocking 
Karius's view. He can't see shit. And Karius immediately appealed to the ref. But I, I, I honestly, I didn't think it was going to go to VAR or anything. But it then ended up going to VAR and got uh, overruled. Now, Konyaspor were really upset about this after the match. Um, this was also enticed a little bit by uh, the likes of Erman Torolo uh, saying that uh, it should not have been disallowed. Um, so I'm going to throw it to you guys. What did you think of the disallowed goal from Konyaspor for Omer Ali Shiner in the first uh, minute or two of the match before we get delve into the match further. Uh, Umut, what did you think of, of the disallowed goal since we don't have Burak here? Yeah, I have. I think the same way as Arman Torol, as you mentioned, because I think Emerald passes like uh, really fast in front of him, like and a good keeper, and uh, as you're concentrated on the ball, and you don't lose the view of it, like you don't lose the sight of it, because he just passes like it's a split second thing, and he's not standing there. He's just passing there. So I don't think it's a quite uh, right thing to cancel that goal. Jakub, what did you think? Um, I thought it was a correct decision because I only saw the, the saw, saw the position on uh, Twitter, and they only used the sideline camera. But when you see it on the natural way the game was played, I don't think that it should have been disallowed. What did you think, Ozer? Yeah, you can pass on me because I haven't I haven't seen the, the incident. No worries. Well, obviously, I thought it was the correct decision. Uh, no, but I, it's a difficult one. Um, but I I really do think it 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 does. I agree with what you're saying, with that of course the goalkeeper is keeping his eye on the ball, but it doesn't mean that the player walking in his field of vision isn't the distracting factor. I, and if you look at what Karius does when, when Umar shoots, I feel like he's kind of flinching, like he's expecting a cross into the guy that's in front of him because he's not making a proper attempt at saving it. No, no you don't make up theories like that because you, you <laughs> should have to talk about what actually happened in fact because... Yeah, but that's there's what a, happens. There's a there's a uh, record like uh, where it shows just behind of the camera from uh, mm-hmm. Lars Karius. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you can see that he doesn't actually lose the sight of the ball, but after he concedes it, he just rushes into Fratidinus, is it? Uh, yeah, Fratidinus. So like expects a disallowance of the goal. Just yeah, exactly. It. But that means that he was that that the the, the, the player uh, clearly had an impact on him because he immediately went for it. It wasn't just something that it took him a couple of seconds. Immediately went for it because he yeah. conceded a goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. You can look at it like that, of course. But I, yeah, I don't know, man. That guy is way offside. He's like two meters offside. He's standing there. He's he is. he's in the field of vision of of the goalkeeper. It's actually not. During the kick, just uh, he's getting into the view just before he kicks it. But during the kick happens, uh, he just just already passed by. Yeah, but as a goalkeeper, you're expecting then the cross to come in for the easy tap-in, right? That's the natural inclination you have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, that, that player is in your head. <laughs> so it's, it does have a distracting factor but yeah um, I think we definitely uh, were fa- definitely got a favorable call there uh, I'm not saying it's wrong I, I think it's it's understandable uh, but 
I didn't think we were going to get it. Um, but it, it ended up uh, paying off in dividends because in the 72nd minute, Burak Yilmaz managed to score a goal uh, to put Besiktas in front. And honestly, uh, I thought defensively, Besiktas put in a really good performance. I was really impressed by the back line. Uh, Vida and, and, and Ruiz were, were, were great again. Vida has been uh, tremendous ever since that red card against Gaziantep. He has just been on fire, uh, playing a fantastic season so far. He's just so good. Um, and defensively, I thought Besiktas were really solid in this match. They really didn't give uh, Konya Sport a lot of opportunities. There were a couple of... There was one, I think, shot in the first half. I don't know if it was Farouk Mia or something off a corner uh, where Karius made a good save. But apart from that, Karius barely tested in this match. There was another shot in the second half. Uh, I think after Besiktas had already scored where Mia took a shot from outside the box and hit the outside of the post. Um, but all in all, defensively, I was really impressed uh, again with Besiktas, who have only conceded once in six games. Um, but that's probably where my positivity kind of ends because offensively I, I didn't really like Besiktas. Uh, I didn't like the lineup. Um, Abdullah Avci seems to has, have found his Quaresma in, in Janar Erkin because Janar apparently has to start. Um, Rebocho has won his spot at left back, it feels like, and I think deservedly so. He has been impressive at left back. He's a good defender, uh, contributes offensively too. Um, he's just a better all-round left back than Janar, so it's logical that he starts. And that's positive to see that uh, Abdullah Avci is at least... Uh, not letting his bias come into uh, play there and does play Rebocho. But then he insists on starting Janner regardless on the wing. Uh, and I, I feel like he just contributes so little. I know he gets the assist here uh, on, on, on Burak. Uh, but it was kind of a little bit of a fortunate assist just because Burak does really well uh, with his turn uh, to set himself up in front of goal. I think that... That was 90% on Burak that goal. Really, the assist didn't play a massive part there. Uh, and just feel like, like Janner is kind of weighing it down a little bit there when he's starting on the wing. I, I like him as a left back uh, because offensively he gets more room then and then he's able to swing in those crosses. But when he's starting on the wing, uh, I, I'm just not a fan of him because he's not able to make that, 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 that's that necessary space to find his cross when he's m marked more tightly. Uh, he doesn't have the attacking instincts to make good runs when uh, Besiktas are, for example, having a counter opportunity or something. So um, for about an hour or so, I really didn't like the, the offensive uh, or, or a little bit more the offensive play of Besiktas. But Nkudu came in. Uh, he immediately uh, added something. You could immediately sense that he uh, just adds a lot of danger. Um, I think that Jakub uh, mentioned as well uh, that, that, that he really likes uh, Nkudu. Um, but yeah, brilliant Burak Yilmaz goal that I didn't feel was going to come. I even told my friends, like, I, I, I just can't see Burak score here. He just, he's been struggling for form this season uh, due to the injuries and stuff. But uh, I really couldn't see him score that type of a goal in this match. Uh, and then he ended up doing it. And uh, I was happy to be wrong, but I didn't have a, a positive feeling in regards to uh, us getting a goal, so to speak. But uh, then we ended up doing uh, so with uh, that Burak goal, and Bishtesh really didn't uh, come in any trouble anymore after that, I think. Uh, the Farouk Mia shot wasn't all that dangerous in hindsight, and uh, in particular I was impressed by the added time performance where 
I usually you always get that one ball that falls right still, and where you just know that that team that's trailing is gonna get one half opportunity that may actually end up being a good one, and it just didn't happen here, which uh, I was uh, kind of surprised by. But uh, Besiktas lucky with that uh, early disallowed goal, but in general, a very strong defensive performance I felt like, and uh, maybe uh, hopefully for them. Uh, Burak Yilmaz can uh, start scoring some goals now and this gives him the confidence boost he needs um, Jakob quickly uh, you were very uh, positive about Nkudu what, what is it exactly you like about him I mean you can you can see that quality wise he's um, he's like a step above of you know the Turkish league wingers like the Turkish the Turkish players in, in general and um, like he's one of the only guys that dribbles um, for a reason, you know, I think a lot of a lot of pacey wingers just dribble because they are really fast and they can just um, you know um, just kick the ball forward and just ram past ram past the guy um, that's defending him. But you can see with Nkudu, he doesn't he has the he has the vision to you know look up, look at his surroundings, know the players that are around him, you know use use his pace, use his dribbling ability to actually do something instead of just mindlessly running uh, a. Cl- Across the left side or either right side or which side is playing on. Um, so um, as I said uh, to you, um, I, I really like him. I think um, it's a little it's a little bad for him that um, he has a striker like uh, Burak to go to, because um, as we all as we also talked, Burak is you know he is, his condition isn't the best anymore. Um, he, he when he tries he can, he has like three or four. Uh, good sprints in him uh, every gra- every game, but I think that if you have a pacey winger like that, you need a more uh, you know in, uh, a faster forward would be really good. You would rack up the assist. Someone who can assist. keep up with him when he's running down the wing, basically. Yeah, I, in my opinion, if I think that um, if either Sorlot or uh, Mario Gomez back in the day, even though he wasn't like the fastest guy alive. Um, and Kudu he was pretty would fast have, for a big guy. Yeah, uh, but Burak is a lot faster, I think. But I know what you mean. Like he he wastes a lot of energy when he does those sprints. Yeah, and I think that if he had like a pacey long uh, long forward uh, to pass to and to give uh, give crosses to, he would have had like um, like maybe seven or eight assists. Now. Maybe uh, the impression I have from Kudu is uh, kind of the first description you gave. Like he's really fast. A uh, good dribbler too, but I don't always see. I don't know. I don't know if he envisions the end. Yeah, I don't know. Um, sometimes I kind of feel like he's a little bit of a headless chicken, but he does have something. He is able of creating danger even when he's not really having a proper idea. So I don't know. Maybe uh, I hope your vision is right and mine's wrong. But well, the judge, the jury is still out on him. I feel like he also missed some games due to injury, um, but. It can definitely be seen that from what Bishtesh have available right now on the wings, uh, with Tyler Boyd not really getting chances, if I'm quite honest, uh, and then Diaby, who really isn't a winger, um, and, and then Janner, uh, <laughs> obviously, and Kudu is a step above those guys, at least. Um, but let's move over to Sunday, then, with uh, Kayseri Sport, Sivaspor, the leaders in the league, Sivaspor, getting another victory here, 1-4, to four. 
uh, in Kayseri, a big win. Fernando scoring the opening goal here for Sivaspor in the 24th minute after he had already had a couple of good opportunities. He made some good runs. Uh, uh, he was uh, quite impressive. But then in the 44th minute against the run of play, Kayseri Sport get the equalizer through Pedro Henrique, who I honestly thought was going to get sent off again. Uh, if you saw his reaction when he got booked later in the second half uh, and he just kept going, I felt like he was going to get a, a second yellow again. That wouldn't be the first time this season. But Emre Kilinch put the visitors back ahead in the 17th minute with a, a nice shot from the edge of the area following a corner kick, slotting it in the bottom right corner. Then uh, Erdogan Yeshilyurt made it 1-3 and 1-4 in the 74th and the 4th minute of stoppage time respectively to... Uh, escalate the scoreline a little bit and make it a big win for Sivaspor. Uh, Uzar, you took a look at this match for us. Um, Sivaspor continued to impress and they were kind of under all of our radars a couple of weeks ago because we were all kind of focusing on Alanya Spor. But here Sivaspor are suddenly the lone leaders in the league with 24 points, two points ahead of Trabzonspor. What do you think of this team? Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're good value for their lead at the top as well. I mean, this game finished 4-1, but it could easily have been 7 or 8-1. I mean, Kayseri looked very poor. Uh, they were able to equalise uh, in the first half, but really that was against the run of play. Sivas had so many chances that they, they weren't able to convert. Um, you mentioned Fernando. So he, he he had a pretty classy goal that he scored to put Sivas 1-0 up. But just before then, it was quite a funny moment where he was kind of received the ball and then almost hit in front of the goalkeeper, did some kind of keepy-uppies, turned around once, then did a 180, turned around again over the goalkeeper, then did a bicycle kick and just made, able to get, able to find the back of the net. But unfortunately, he was just offside. Um, otherwise, that would have been pretty awesome. That would have been spectacular. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I do urge the listeners to go and check that out because it's, it's quite a humorous moment in the game. Uh, Fernando really did impress me, though. He's a 26-year-old, and he's actually on loan from Porto. So it's a good um, scouting achievement from the part of Sivas. Um, and actually, Emre Kulinch, who scored, but also hit the post. Um, then you had Erdogan as well, who scored. And he was one of the guys who was just part of this relentless attack for Sivas in, in this game. And yeah, you're right. We, they have kind of been slipping under the radar uh, and it's kind of the resurgence in the last few weeks that's really got people talking. But mm-hmm. credit to Umut, actually, so because he highlighted uh, Sivas's kind of Turkish core in, in the mm-hmm. episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, so if we take a look at that, Emre Kulunç is 25, Erdogan 26, uh, Mert Khan as well, who I believe is also 25. Yeah. These guys are, um, are essential parts of the of the Sivasspor attack line in the midfield. So as well as them, when you've got Guys like Fernando, who's 26 and wants to prove himself, um, they make for quite a quite a, an interesting interesting squad. Um, even the likes of Aruna Kona, who okay, admittedly he's about 35, 36 now. He's on the bench, but you've got kind of an experienced head in the squad as well. So in terms yeah, of balance, the they've got, been really to good. Got, yeah, exactly, exactly. They seem to have got the balance pretty pretty well so far. So I think that they have every right to be top of the league. It's not like that any of the other teams are really. Uh, firing on all cylinders anyway. So mm-hmm. credit to them. Let's see how far they go and keep an eye on, on the three Turkish dynamos in midfield. 
Yeah, and you mentioned two of those guys, I believe, are both on expiring contracts. Emery Kilinch and Mert Hakanyandas have both opted not to uh, extend their deals at Sivas Sport. They are looking, they're probably eyeing a, a big move in the summer, but they could potentially already be out in January because they only have six months left on their contracts and they would be leaving on a free in the summer. Uh, if Sivas Sport still wants to get any cash for them, they'll have to do so by selling these guys in January. Uh, I could see both of those guys uh, making a, a Galatasaray, a Besiktas, a Fenerbahce, a Trabzonspor happy. I think Emre Kilinc has been uh, linked uh, repeatedly with Besiktas over the last uh, year or so. Um, in the beginning, in the summer, in fact, uh, Sivas were still demanding three million for him. I know Mert Hakanyandas is a Galatasaray fan, um, so interesting to see they're top of the table right now, but they. I wouldn't be surprised if two of their best players would actually end up leaving in January to one of the bigger clubs, um, just because Sivaspor would still want to get a little bit of a return on their investment on those guys. Uh, do you think that Mert Hakanyandas and Emre Kilinc uh, would find their ways in the squads of, of your respective teams? Uh, Jakub, let's start. <laughs> I think... Galatasaray would take anyone, anyone that's fit right now. <laughs> well, yeah, Emre is a, is a, is a left-winger. Uh, that could definitely be useful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, uh, Jakub? Do you, do you see those guys fitting in at Trabzon? And would you like uh, Trabzon to go after either of them? I mean, um, I would like both of them. But um, Emre Kalinch is, is a really good player, but we are so, so stacked on stacked. the position. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if if he would if he would be a, a smart one. Um, as for um, wh- who are you talking about again? Mert Hakanyandas. Sorry. Mert Hakanyandas. Mert, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He, he's he's you know I I like young players. They're both like twenty five, so you can't really mm. call them young. But I don't know. Um, I have a feeling that um, that they might. Uh, extend their uh, contract so Sivas can get a big fee for them in the in the summer, and if that doesn't happen, I think that um, Galatasaray is pretty much going to open the bank for 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 <laughs> both players, you know. And um, salary wise, I don't think that any other team in Turkey can you know compare with them. Yeah, I think Mert Hakan has been standing out a lot this season, but the thing with Emre Kilinc is he's kind of been one of their better players for a couple of years right now. He's he's been consistent, I feel like, and Mert Hakan for me. I don't remember him that vividly from, for example, even last season. Like, he really uh, arrived on the scene this season, as far as I can recall. But, but Emre is someone we've been talking about for a couple of years now as a interesting player. Um, yeah, Umut, you're somebody who keeps uh, your finger on the pulse pretty well. Mert Hakan, when did he first uh, yeah, spark your interest? Well, uh, after uh, the time Robinho went away to Başakşehir, these young guys... Uh, so last January. Started, yeah, uh, last January. So these uh, these young guys, uh, not so young, uh, I mean, but you can see them, they are like uh, in their uh, yeah prime, you can call that, but not so prime when you uh, see the Turkish uh, prime is like around 28, 29. So, uh, I think they have uh, a way to go as well. But uh, when they were having uh, these guys like Robinho and uh, the other, uh, I don't call recall the name, uh, there was a, another uh, uh, foreign player who was Douglas. working the... Uh, 
yeah, blocking <laughs> the path of these uh, players. And oh, also, blocking the path. Um, yeah, the blocking the path of these uh, players from uh, performing. So, uh, because of the Yabancı sınırı, uh, the foreign rule, uh, some of the president's boards uh, just abuse it and uh, buy too many uh, foreign players. Oh, for- which you're starting to sound like a pro uh, Yabancı rule here. No, 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 no. I'm just uh, telling that. Uh, yeah, they just abuse the rules, so uh, they just uh, forget about their raw talents, uh, local talents, uh, yearly talents, and mm-hmm. uh, because of that, uh, they have their way blocked. Uh, the chance they have becomes lower and lower. But as soon as Robinho left, uh, you can see uh, Mert Hakan Yandash and uh, Erdogan Yeshidurt finding chances uh, after a while. And also, they have a great harmony with the team leader now. I can recall, I, I can call Emre Kulic. Uh, mm. is the mastermind of the team right now, uh, the carrier. Uh, so, I can say he he and the others, uh, Yali players, got a great harmony mm. in Svaspor. And that's the reason I think they are the leaders right now. But what we also, you know, just to, to piggyback on your point of the the foreign limit, and yes, this is definitely true that some that definitely some clubs put, put uh, attract too many foreigners, perhaps, and it does stand in the way of, of young Turkish players. But then I think you see the cream rises to the top, where we see an Emre Agbaba at Alanya Spor, an Emre Kilinshir at Sivaspor. These, you know, early twenties, mid twenties Turkish players that are actually willing and capable of working hard. To earn their spot in the team, whereas in the in the past we got uh, other players who maybe were talented, but they did never really had to give it one hundred percent because they were gonna play anyway. And now guys like this, uh, like Mert Hakan, like Emre Kilinc, like Emre Agbaba in the past, they know if they you know if they have a good work ethic with their capabilities, they're gonna be able to get to where they want to be in life. But beforehand, when we had guys like Batuhan in the past, and you know they they have all the talent in the world, but they they just don't really care enough to to give it a hundred percent in training to to be maximum, you know, to like Deadpool would say, you know, maximum effort. Uh, they lack that, and I think that's a positive effect of the lim- uh, the lack of a foreign limit now, where we see these guys like Emre Kilinc, you know, getting to where they are in life because of the foreign limit. Or lack thereof because they have to work harder. Yeah, yeah. I just looked it up, and so I can say the the uh, last year their squad involves players like Syriac, uh, Thierry Bifuma, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Robinho, and Arena Konya. So up top is like a, a African combo mix. So it's like I know these players doesn't promise too much, and I think they are just in for money. So. They also had uh, Gabriel Torje and yeah. one uh, thing conflict to our, what I said earlier. They had Özer Hurmac, who is a local Turkish player, but he doesn't promise anything at all. He's so, a little he, bit over the hill at this yeah, point. Yeah, over I the think. hill. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, not that old though. I think he must be like thirty only, but yeah, yeah but he's done. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Uh, the previous league leaders, Alanya Spor, who have kind of been stumbling as of late. They faced off with Gustepe and they ended up losing once again at home this time to Gustepe 1-0. The only goal from the match here coming in the 68th minute through Ande Castro. A really nice taking goal, a very uh, good quality goal. But Alanya Spor losing again. Um, Umut, how do you... What do you how what do you credit that to? How why how can you explain Alanya Sport's slip as of late? Because they are one of the teams that have been playing the best football in the league. And honestly, even here, I didn't feel like they they deserve to lose really. Um, but what what's their problem right now? Yeah, I think uh, as a matter of fact, the thing is when you're the leaders, uh, as you said earlier. Uh, all the headlights, all the lights are on you. So uh, the th- the people are trying to analyze you, and also the uh, the your opponents take precautions to you as well. So uh, before that, they just acted like Alanya as a regular team. So uh, they didn't have any precautions to them, uh, like not as they had right now, uh, but. After that, uh, having the uh, leadership and all, uh, some of the their opponents like acted more uh, uh, cautious against them, playing against them. So I think that might be the uh, a few reasons uh, about it. And also uh, the other reason can be that they might have lost their uh, you know run streak. So. Uh, that ha- that can happen throughout the season uh, sometimes about uh, on a team, uh, but they can also rise up again because they have mm-hmm. a great squad and uh, great players who had their harmony. And uh, and I also didn't uh, see the winger who is uh, the uh, Latin American forget his name. Fernandez. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have him. Uh, during I think he was game. suspended, wasn't he? Yeah, they didn't have it. So yeah. I think. They kind of lack the, his uh, creativity and the uh, pace he has, and the dictatorship in the uh, field, uh, uh, like causing trouble for their opponents. So, also, uh, there has a main problem that they have a great player called uh, uh, Bakaseta, so he's a great player and uh, mm-hmm. has a great left foot. But after uh, uh, seeing him play, uh, you see he's very reliant on his left foot, like uh, Podolski and his prime. So if you take some precautions to his left foot and force him to uh, shoot or pass with his right foot, he suddenly becomes uh, like half the player he is. So uh, he becomes less uh, dangerous as he is. So I think that might be uh, quite the reasons. And Cisse, of course, uh, yeah. still getting in those positions, but this time not not converting. And we've said it before, I mean, he ha- was scoring, I think he had like nine goals in nine games or something. He's still on nine goals right now, I believe. Uh, but he could have probably been on like 13, 14, 15 goals at that point already. And, and it, again here, he got in a couple of positions, but just couldn't put it away. Uh yeah, uh, maybe just a little bit of lack of luck for Lions Sport right now. I, I do still feel like they're playing good football, though. So, like you said, it, it could turn quickly. But um, it's it's a super tight race right now uh, at the top of the table. It's I I don't I just I I I don't dare to say what the top five is gonna look like at the end of the season. There's so many candidates right now uh, from 
from first place to like ninth or eighth place, I think uh, anyone could probably end in the top five at the moment uh, or even top three. It, it's crazy. Uh, let's move over to uh, Malatya Sport Fenerbahce because that's a very interesting match as well between two teams of the top five. Malatya Sport under Sergei Yalcin having a great run. Fenerbahce under Ersunyanal having a great run this season too. Um, although they've had some hiccups along the way and just like Galtrai, uh, they have some injury issues right now, especially up top with uh, Vedat Muric returning injured from the international break, supposedly according to Ridvan Dilman, who claims to have spoken to uh, Vedat on the phone over the week, uh, he told him that uh, he would be out for five weeks, supposedly. Uh, that would be a pretty big blow for Fenerbahce, because I do believe they have um, the derby with Besiktas coming up in the next couple of weeks, that would fall under those five weeks, I believe, uh, and, and they still have uh, Alanya Spore, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so they still have a couple of uh, tests ahead of them in those uh, five weeks. So this match ending in a nil-nil draw, but it could have been different. Fenerbahce had a penalty awarded to them towards the end of the first half, um, but Famol... Uh, saved it, uh, or rather Emre Bellozolo uh, missed it, uh, I don't know how you want to look at it, but they didn't convert, um, and a big controversial decision in this match as well is the disallowed goal for Malatya Spor in the first half, I don't have the timestamp of that here right now, I think it was a little bit over the half hour mark or so, but uh, yeah, a goal from uh, Mina, that got disallowed for a supposed fall on the goalkeeper, Altai. Um, and I know uh, Burak isn't here, but he feels, uh, because we argued about it last night, and Burak is of uh, the opinion that it was a very clear uh, fall on the goalkeeper, that uh, Altai got sandwiched in between uh, the two um, players of, of, of Malatya Spor, Jahovic, and uh, I don't know who the other guy was. Uh, I think it was uh, Bifuma, maybe. Tabek. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, so uh, Bob, uh, Burak's opinion is clear fall on the goalkeeper. He got sandwiched, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did also show this position to a couple of my friends. Uh, a couple of, uh, well, I showed it in a, in a group with uh, lots of uh, journalists. And uh, the guys who bothered to respond all said the same thing. It's a uh, goalkeeping blunder. This is a legit goal. Um, let's talk about that first, guys, what you feel like. Uh, Uzzer, did you manage to see the position, the disallowed goals? I did, I did. I saw it in different positions, different speeds, different lighting, different screens. And to be honest with you, I am actually on the side of Burak on this. I okay. think Altai is somewhat sandwiched. It's not It's not 100% um, infringement on the goalkeeper, I think. But there's enough of a sandwiching there to make it, to make you... Um, question whether or not the two players were going for the ball or actually going f- for the goalkeeper directly. So, but I think you can being... see that both players are watching the ball. They have no, they have no, uh, yeah, but no I clue think, of the, the whereabouts of the of, of the, the goalkeeper. Body, the body language is more in in engaged with uh, putting the goalkeeper off balance. So I think rather than being sort of a foot long sandwich, it's more of a six in sub and. I think, therefore, on balance, it's probably a fair decision. Also, the referee blew instantly as soon as it was, as soon as the incident occurred. There was no delay. So, from the referee's perspective, he must have thought, "Yeah, that's definitely a foul on the goalkeeper." Um, which, which is a mistake, I think. By the way, he should have waited. 
Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting, goal. given that mm-hmm. yeah, given the existence of VAR, but you know that yeah. was the decision that he made. So for me, the more interesting call was the penalty decision that came elsewhere in the game because, I, again, I watched the highlight about ten million times from different angles. Couldn't for the life of me figure out how that was a penalty. Mm-hmm. So for final saving saving it was was just served in my opinion. So I'm I'm pro the feminine perspective on the on the um, disallowed goal, but I'm, okay. I'm against the penalty. Okay, uh, Jakub, what did you think of the disallowed goal and the penalty? Let's get your opinion on both. Um, I kind of agree with Özer. Um, I can see why um, why there was a why, why people think there was a foul against Altai because he the, he was sandwiching uh, between two players. I also kind of agree with uh, with you that um, that his body language it didn't it, it seemed like he he. He tried to get the ball, he couldn't get it, and then he was like, "Oh, but I got fouled," you know, just to just to bail himself out. Um, so I don't think I I, I kind of think that it's 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 hard to say for me to be honest. Um, I can see why both both sides think um, there was a wrong decision made, and I I I really don't think that I have like a clear answer as to what I think. I. Um, before 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 uh, we started um, we started I watched the position um, I thought then it was it was a foul uh, it, it wasn't a foul so um, Altai got bailed out but the more I watch it the more it seems like he did get fouled um, as for the penalty um, I don't get it I don't get why the penalty was given there didn't seem to be a foul before he headed the ball um, and after the ball, uh, after he headed the ball, he did get hit. But it, yeah, I don't know. He didn't. I don't think it should be a penalty. But you know, I'm I'm not the man of the law. I don't know for sure. <laughs> I, I I don't think the penalty should have been given. Uh, Umut, what did you think of the disallowed goal and the penalty? Well, uh, as I th- said earlier to you, uh, I don't think in, there's any case of being sandwiched or whatnot because. Mm-hmm. Altai himself just rushes there, and uh, yeah. as his habit, uh, there's his problem with the uh, handling and grabbing the side balls, and this is poor judgment. What poor judgment uh, gets to you? And he's too unsure to how to handle it, so he just jumps in there, uh, hoping to grab it, but. Uh, then claims to be sandwiched after losing the position of the ball. Uh, I don't know, because at first you can see that he was just landing uh, on his foot, but he just then uh, draws his feet uh, afterwards just to expect a call from the ref. So I think that might be the thing uh, about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, what do you think of the penalty? I think if the penalty was given to uh, the contact Farnall made, I think it's quite fair because uh, there's a harsh tackle on, uh, I think it's Gary Rodriguez. Uh, uh, Moses, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Moses, yeah. It's Moses, so I think there's a harsh contact on the ball, even it's off the ball, uh, after the ball passed. So there's a harsh and hard contact from uh, Farnall's uh, hands to uh, Victor Moses there. He's kind of squished into uh, uh, his uh, players there. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite fair penalty. Do you do you feel that uh, that being in the six yard box of the goalkeeper uh, makes any difference or not? 
No, because he doesn't have the position of the ball. Okay. Uh, well, quickly, my opinion. Uh, well, I really don't see why the goal was this loud. I think it was a crystal clear goal. Um, I don't think there's a sandwich here because both of the uh, players, uh, both of the attacking players are already in those positions. They are with their backs towards goal, at least towards the goalkeeper. They're looking only at the ball. I don't think they have any inclination of the goalkeeper is going to come there. So I, I really don't see them trying to uh, deliberately sandwich uh, the goalkeeper. Um, not that that matters whether it's deliberate or not. Uh, but definitely I don't agree with, with Uzzer there that their body language uh, showed that they were trying to uh, put the goalkeeper off balance. Um, I think that Altai is rushing out of his six-yard box there. Um if that is in the six-yard box, then I always agree. Okay, you give the goalkeeper the benefit of the doubt uh, because in that, you know, in the six-yard box, I've always been told you you don't touch the keeper. But here, for me, this is just the goalkeeper running out of rushing out of his own goal and charging in, going for the ball, fumbling it, and then trying to blame it on. The, the contact with, with the, the offensive players, but the offensive players have just as much right to go for that aerial as, as, as uh, Altai does. Uh, they don't do anything extreme, I think. Uh, Adis Jaovic is just going up for a header. The other guy is trying to go for a bicycle kick for the falling ball. Um, the bicycle kick especially does not do anything uh, because it comes after uh, the... The, the fumble has already taken place. So the only thing you could say is that Jaovic backing into the goalkeeper perhaps. Uh, but I don't think that applies here because the goalkeeper is, is, is rushing in. So I don't think that then applies as backing into the goalkeeper. It's not a goalkeeper that's... It's not like a goalkeeper standing there jumping for the ball to pick it up. And then a guy backing up into him, putting him off balance. This is a goalkeeper running out, jumping and, you know... Dropping the ball. Um, the least thing that should have been done here is the referee should have allowed the play to go to see if it ends up in a goal, then disallow it for a fall and go to VAR and check out the position. But he immediately blew his whistle there, cancelling out any opportunity for VAR. It just felt like a bailout to me. Um, and uh, a little bit before that, like I think Altai, if you look at... The match, uh, just in terms of uh, what was allowed to continue, I think Altai played an excellent match. He made some really good saves. But then if you look at this position, and if you look at a little bit before that, when when he actually ended up getting quote-unquote injured, uh, which again I think was um, Altai basically... I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of a pattern with him where I think he acts like a victim when he makes a mistake in order to try and get the, the referee to, to, to side with him on the decision. Because uh, a little bit before that, there's an offside position uh, where the, the, they, the referees do really well and do basically apply the wait-and-see rule. Um, and uh, Altai is rushing out of goal, brings down Adis Jaovic, a red card position outside of the box, um, but then he's bailed out because it was offside. But then he stays down for quite a while as well. Um, I don't know. It just, 
I think if I think he got really lucky twice. If that's not offside, I think it's a red card any day. Um, and I really don't think that's, that uh, there was a fall on him on the goal. So on paper, Altai had a great game. But if you watch the game, I think he had two really big uh, brain farts in this match. And uh, we spoke about it last week, I think, about the Turkish goalkeepers where I, I kind of see the similar thing with, with both Urjan and Altai being really talented on one side of the spectrum, but they both have those uh, little hiccups. And I think Altai has it more than Urjan, by the way, at the moment. Uh, obviously, Urjan has, has two years on him, but... I don't know. Uh, Altai, for me, he can be so impressive. He has really good one-on-one saves. He has really good reflexes and all that, but... Like Umut said, when it comes to those crosses, those those balls from the wings, uh, high balls, he is dodgy. When it comes to footwork, he is dodgy. And uh, rushing out of his goal, he can be dodgy too. So he has a lot of uh, room for improvement. So, end of the day, Fenerbahce dropped two precious points. Um, it was, uh, I think, a very interesting first half where both teams could have, should have maybe scored. Uh, Guillerme had a really good one-on-one opportunity with the goalkeeper. Uh, Altai made a good save there. Oh, no, actually, Altai didn't have to make a save. It went wide. Uh, and then uh, Victor Moses had a really good one-on-one opportunity. I think that was uh, in the first half, too. Um, but then in the second half, I really felt like Malatya Sport kind of faded away in the match. And uh, Fenerbahce were the better side in the second half. And I really think that from the two teams... Um, Fenerbahce probably, given how the match unfolded, will be the the ones kind of kicking themselves. Uh, interesting, though, uh, Fenerbahce missing the strikers. But if you look at the substitutions that Ersunyanal actually made, and if you look what he has available to him, no Denis Turic from the bench, no Ferdi Kadiolo from the bench. He didn't bring in any offensive subs, despite the fact that Fenerbahce were looking for a goal. What do you guys think uh, is the issue there? Ersunyal is known as an offensive coach, but do you think he just took solace with a point early on in Malatya already, uh, Jakub? I mean, it, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, it, it is weird. Um, as you said, um, Ersun is a coach known for, you know, his attacking play. He likes to go, he likes to attack with a lot of players. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I think think he might have thought that uh, the attacking players that they already had were good enough but you know looking at looking at the team feed of the day they had uh, Moses on the one wing and Tolga on the other wing and I don't know I am, I am a big fan of Ferdis so I, I would love to see him like play as many times as he can and hopefully choose for choose Turkey to, to represent even though I don't think it's ha- it's going to happen but yeah I don't know um, he, he did put Gary in, but it was like the 17th minute, so it was pretty late. Um, Denis Turic, um, I wasn't a big fan of him before he joined Fenerbahce. I didn't think he was. He was one of the one of the bright uh, players at Kayserispor, but I thought because uh, Kayserispor wasn't really the big, the greatest team, that he just shined a lot, shone a lot. I don't know, um, but I do think that he could have made a big difference. You know, him, him and Ferde on the midfield was on to fun is looking more and more like the player he was before he went to Alanyaspor and found himself again. 
I yeah, he know. seems to be putting on some pounds again. I, I don't know if it's just an impression, but I, I know I mentioned it uh, in, in our group, and, and Burak said, yeah, I, I've been noticing it too for the last month or so. And he just looks like his face, his neck, he just looks thicker again. And he, I, he looked leaner I mean, earlier I kind, in the season. I kind of liked him when he when he played for the national team, you know. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, he's been playing good. I said numerous times that I, I'm a big fan of how he turned his career around, you know, after being... Uh, like the, the the laughing stock of the league for the last couple of years, but I don't know if it's a mentality issue. I know that um, uh, that Esuniano trains the players a lot. You know, one of the things mm-hmm. he prides himself at is that he trains players to the bone. You know, that pretty much all the players have a great deal of stamina. But it's weird to see that Ozan is the one regressing. You know, well, he he probably just has really bad genes. So he clearly yeah. puts on weight super easily. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I said that he looks thicker. I don't have the impression that he is more sluggish or anything. I I, I still feel like he's playing well enough. Uh, but I know Burak uh, did kind of feel like his performances were suffering. I, I haven't really noticed that. I still think that he's playing well. But he's just, you know, I mean, he's doing a lot. Offensively, defensively, he's, he's contributing a lot on both sides of the pitch. Um and the obviously offensive contribution isn't going to be his strong suit. So I, maybe people, again, it's a kind of a situation like a Ryan Babel where a lot of responsibility is being put on him right now because you don't have a Max Kruse, you don't have a Vedat Movic here. Um, and I, you know what? I want to put that out there too, that despite the fact that I think Malatia Sport's goal should not have been this loud, I did kind of... I was kind of impressed by Fenerbahce because... Uh, one of my friends said, like, oh, you know what, uh, Vedat isn't there, and they immediately collapse and stuff, and I'm like, and, and they are really too dependent on one player, and blah, and blah. But you have to take into consideration, it's not just Vedat who isn't there. It's also Max Kruse, who played a very important role early on in the season, got five assists early on. I mean, he is obviously one of their best players. Um, and they've been missing him for quite a while already, and they were doing still okay without him because of Vedat. But then also they lose Vedat now. They lose up. The, they lose their backup striker Mevlut Erdinc. They didn't have a striker in this match. They had to play with a very m- much a makeshift lineup in one of the more difficult away games in the league. I would I, I would say uh, with Malatya Sport being one of the tougher teams in the league, um, and they had to play with Alper Potuk, Victor Moses, and. Um, who else was up top? I mean, basically they didn't have a single pure attacker. Even Victor Moses is not really... I mean, they're playing as, a, as, as an offensive winger, but when he was at Chelsea, he, he played right back, he played midfield, he played a lot of different roles, but he's clearly not a pure attacking player with those uh, instincts that, that I mentioned earlier with Ajana, for example. So, given those circumstances... I still thought that Fenerbahce played a decent game and managed to put together a decent amount of chances. And Victor Moses should always put that one, uh, one-on-one opportunity with Farnell uh, away, or at least put it on, on target, but he puts it wide. Uh, so I think Fenerbahce, despite the fact that they were without a striker here, could have still easily won it. Um, but I know Fenerbahce fans are bothered by the fact that uh, Ersunyanel didn't really make offensive substitutions uh, We've gotten your take now, Jakub. Umut, what do you think of the lack of bringing on a Ferdi Cariolo, who was really good coming off the bench early on in the season, but we haven't really seen him in recent months? Well, uh, it's because the I think the uh, conditions aren't right for that, because uh, you don't have a 
proper striker, as you said. So it's actually useless to bring in a supporting player uh, up front. So because Barry Cadell himself cannot do anything, like uh, as in Dennis Sturridge as well. They, these kind of players need some kind of uh, scorer inside the box to feed them. Score the goals. Like, as if it was Fatih Terim at the time, if uh, he he's in a similar condition uh, uh, without any attacker, he just puts in Donk or Maikon, like last year, up front to score goals. So, if uh, Fatih Terim had this kind of Fenerbahce on his hands, if, I think he would have put Sardar Aziz up front uh, and st- just put Sardar Chipunar Ch- uh, there and put on uh, Dennis Turch kind of player to feed him uh, with the crosses and all. Uh, I think that might be the reason to score it because Tolga GRG, Victor Moses up front, I don't know. It's kind of useless when you don't have any strikers and so on. Do you think uh, that uh, they should have taken that risk in the last, say, 10-15 minutes or so, where they should have really tried to push for that winning goal? Yes, they should have. They're Fenerbahce, man. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) No, but maybe, yeah. The the league is super tight right now. All the teams are capable of dropping some points left and right. Maybe Esunyal was like, we have a point in a difficult away game. We don't want to lose this. I don't know if you... (laughs) Yeah, cling but, onto a point yeah, like also that, but, but yeah, also but the uh, opponent also uh, subbed out the uh, their best player Gilan, yeah, eh? yeah. and also uh, Gökantor was uh, shit in his mm-hmm. uh, talent right now. So they just uh, benched them, and uh, Ahmed Ildiz was the guy who was coming in in the last minutes to waste some time for mm-hmm. Sergen Yeltsin. So I think as you know, should be uh, brave enough to take that kind of risk. At the time, but it failed, I think. And finally, uh, let's talk a little bit about Malatya Sport. We have been praising Sergen Yalcin uh, over the last year, I would say, uh, at the Lanya Sport last year, at Malatya Sport this year. What did you think of his performance tactically here? Obviously, he wasn't on the bench because he's suspended, but do you agree with me that, that Malatya Sport kind of faded away in the second half? And do you think that is due to the tactical input of the, the coach or maybe just... I think I the, the appearance of the uh, coach on the sideline is a big thing because I think it's underrated, but it's a thing. You know, you kind of take the impression by the looks of it. You know, mm-hmm. he just looks at you uh, in a way that you're doing not you're not doing any better, or if you're doing good, he should tell it. But if he's not there, you don't get the uh, impression. You know. How he, how does he think or how tactically are we doing the thing right or wrong in any way? Yeah. And he's not really able to impact uh, the team in any way anymore once that uh, yeah they come back out of the dressing room. Also, uh, the aqua they have in the midfield is oh yeah it, he, he it, was really good in the first half. Yeah, he's a good player, but he just likes the defensive habits. You know, he's lazy out of the defense, like kind of like I think Seri. You know, but. He's just bulky and strong, uh, not to be compared with Seri, but uh, ability-wise, defensively, he's lazy as him. You know, he's just soft. Uh, uh, as, by the looks of it, you can expect a player like Apia or uh, some kind of similar manner, but he's not that player. You know, he's far too offensive for that kind of thing. So 
that kind of uh, makes some kind of uh, you know uh, defensive uh, errors uh, in your team. Yeah. Yeah, I think this match will largely be remembered for uh, Emre's penalty miss. That's not something I have yeah. seen often in my life. I think. Yeah, um, I also didn't see Celtic missing for mm-hmm. some long time. Yeah, so. We had we had that this season too. Yeah, and now we have uh, Emre missing a penalty. Um, They're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think it was it wasn't a particularly good penalty from Emre. Usually he uh, does better on those. Uh, there was also the discussion of was the goalkeeper off his line early uh also discussion of the players were in the box early i think a couple a bunch of fenerbahce players and uh, one or two malatia sport players were in the box before the shot was taken but as we already discussed in private uh really if, unless those players get involved on, on on a potential rebound or something it really shouldn't impact uh, the goalkeeper uh, the referee's decision the only thing that matters is if the goalkeeper saves the penalty and he's off his line quickly, then it should be retaken. So the question then is, was he off his line early, uh, Umut? You studied it closely, I believe. Yeah, I think he's on the mid-air. Like, just as Emre is hitting it, just he just jumped to gain a power. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's a keeper habit. Uh, he just slowly jumped and tried to gain power. And he's just in the mid-air. And, uh, of course, he's going forward, but... Uh, there's no like uh, violence uh, on the rule when he's going forward after the kick is taken. So he was going, no, 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 no. yeah, he was going forward, but I think it's a split second thing. So I don't know. Yeah, we actually argued about it because uh, you were initially thinking, yeah, he's off his line. This should be mm-hmm. retaken. And I was like, no, it's not. He still has that left foot is on the well, not really on the line because, like you say, he's in the air, but. It wasn't like sometimes you have those really blatant ones where the goalkeeper is already like a meter off his line. Yeah, like Jarzin like in Istanbul 2005. You remember it? No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. Milan versus Liverpool. The Liverpool oh, goalkeeper. Dudek. Yeah, Dudek. Dudek. Yeah, 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 he was yeah. way off the line when yeah, yeah, yeah. he was that. dancing like a monkey yeah. on the line. And, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yes. that's the thing you're mentioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the really bla- but obviously, I think um, if it's very clear, then it should be retaken. I think here, so, I, I mean, yeah, I really thing. didn't think uh, I really didn't think he was off his line too early. Um, okay, so Mal- uh, Malatya Spor and Fenerbahce played to a draw. Uh, so really great weekend for Trabzonspor, uh, apart from Sivaspor. All the rivals, oh, apart from Sivas and Besiktas, all the the rivals. Uh, drop points, uh, Galatasaray lose at home, Fenerbahce draw, Alanya Spor lose at home. So a really good week for, for Trabzonspor and, and for Besiktas and, and, Tra- and Sivaspor, of course. Uh, so let's move over to the final match of match day 12. Antalya Spor, Gaziantep. We're going to go over this one pretty quickly. This one ended 1-1. Goals here coming from Papis Djiloboc to put... Gaziantep ahead in the 37th minute, but Nazem Sagari got the equalizer six minutes from full time in the 84th minute uh, with a very good header to uh, salvage a point for Antalya Spor. Um, a point they'll desperately need because Antalya Spor do find themselves in the relegation zone at the moment. Stjepan Thomas has taken over uh, as coach um, for... Uh, for for Antalya Sport from Bülent Korkmaz. Uh, so let's quickly talk about that. Um, Umut, you watched this game too. What did you think uh, about this match? 
Well, uh, I think for Gaziantep, Guray Vural uh, played really well, and he's the, I think the the main brain on the team. Uh, very experienced and good, great left foot, and but uh, I think there are two possible penalty calls which has been uh, given for Gaziantep, like. Yeah, two poor uh, players got brought down on the inside the box, but ref didn't call it. Uh, so, uh, and there was a yellow card to Oz, which was a controversial one because it was actually uh, to stop a counter attack, like a probable threat. Uh, so he just slid into the uh, player who's Hamilton uh, at the time, uh, and. Injured him because it was a harsh tackle. Uh, so it was kind of a uh, complicated situation for me because it is a yellow card offense to uh, just stop a counter attack, but it's also a yellow card offense in a tackle wise. Because so I think it needed a uh, two yellow cards at the time, but it it just given like uh, just a yellow card for him, which is a shame. To be honest, because uh, that Antalya player got uh, off because of the injury he took at the time. For Antalya, uh, it's quite uh, bad uh, up front because they like a brain player uh, up front. Artif Sheshu tries to help out, but the other players act like the headless chickens uh, up front, like don't pass the final ball to uh, empty net, or they're just being selfish and all. So. That doesn't help Antalya very much. Uh, and also, uh, as we mentioned for Sivaspor, Antalya Spor has to learn to rely on the yearly youngsters, such as Doukan and Ufuk Akio, uh, as they have great talents on their hands, but they don't use them often. So I think they have to be uh, better on the uh, yearly players. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, I, I did forget about one match, Kasim Pasha against Jeremy, mm-hmm. so we'll get that in just a moment. Uh, but Antalya Spor, not really helped to the point here. They really need to start winning some games. Gaziantep, yeah, they're in a decent position. Um, they were kind of dropping off in form recently. Uh, it looked like they were going to get a win here, but uh, they gave it up in the, in, in the final 10 minutes. So, uh, But I think, all in all, they'll be happy with a point away from home. But Antalya Spor... Like I said before, they do find themselves in the relegation zone. And part of the reason for that is because Gensterberly actually got another win on the road against Kasim Pasha. Uh, and they managed to turn the match around in the final 10 minutes of the match here. Uh, because Kasim Pasha had initially taken the lead in the 54th minute through Aitach Kara. But Bogdan Stanku scored a brace in the 82nd and 88th minute to make it 1-2 to Gensterberly. The second goal coming from the penalty spot. Jakub, uh, it was really mostly all Kasim Pasha for the most part until the very end there. Yeah, I didn't. I, the, uh, like, if you if you only look at the scores, um, it, it doesn't. The, the score doesn't really reflect the game. To be honest, um, I really like Kasim Pasha. I really I can't understand how they lost this game. Um, I really loved seeing Quaresma. <clears throat> you know, after. After watching uh, watching the Bishtash, like the big Bishtash games of the last three years and cursing him out um, because he, he, he lost possession and he keeps flinging balls in uh, to the <laughs> to the center and it, they're not connecting, he seems to really have found his old form, you know, the uh, the form that he um, the form that he was 
trying to trying to regain for a le- really long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems this is the play- first time he he's been. Pl- I didn't feel like he was playing very well at Kasim Pasha, but the last couple of matches he seems to have been picking it up again. Yeah, and it's it's nice to see. You know, as a, as a neutral fan, um, quite as as a flashy player, it's always nice to see players like that. You know, do their thing. And you you could really see see him uh, in this game. He had some crosses that really connected well. Um, he had some Trivella shots, like always. And I really think he um, he played his he, he played one of his better games, as you said. Um, as for as for like the results, um, the goal that Kasim Pasha had was a really unfortunate one. It seems like the keeper missed. Um, I don't know if if the ball had a little bit of spin on it or the keeper misjudged the, how hard the ball was coming. Um, it looked like he thought he could deflect it upwards, but the ball just like bounced off his uh, like bounced off his gloves and just went into the goal. Um, this game was uh, a game of a couple of penalty shouts. I don't really remember if um, if VAR was called for any of them. I don't think they there were. Um, like Gensterbilia had a VAR uh, like like a penalty shout and uh, a, a player in the box went down really easily. I don't have the name uh, off the top of my head at the moment, but that wasn't the penalty, which was a correct decision. Um, Kasim Pasha had the same one. Um, I think it was like with a cross, and um, that uh, the Kasim Pasha player w- went down really easily. So that wasn't that wasn't the penalty. Um, the penalty for Genslerbili. I thought it really resembled the one that was given to uh, that, that was given against Rizespor, you know, for Denizespor. And you know, we talked about it um, the beginning of the of the podcast about how um, you know uh, Umut said that even though the guy got the ball with his hand, there was another guy um, behind him that could have gotten the ball. Um, in this game, there wasn't a guy. You know, he was on his own and. Um, as I said before, it's it's really it's a it's a hard decision to make as a referee because there is pretty much no um, you know no natural way for a player to go for a slide without you know without without putting your arm down you know either way you either like face plants or you put your arm down or you slow down yourself a bit and um, yeah this I I can see why it was given I think that this one is a little bit more clear as uh, as, as as the Denis one was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was it was a game that Kasim Pasha should have really easily won. You know, with both of the teams being in the being in the, uh, being close to the relegation zone, there was a big game for uh, for both of them. Um, I I'm yeah. pretty sure that Kasim Pasha has you know just banging their heads against the wall about how they have lost points and even a win in this game. Um, uh, but they have they have Besiktas coming up soon uh, at home. For them, so uh, they will get their points there. So <laughs> they always qua- do. Quaresma Trivela goal is incoming. Yeah, yeah, it's written in uh, in in the sky. <laughs> I mean, in the stars. Yeah. So all in all, um, Kasimpasha should have should have won this. Yeah, uh, we'll take a look at uh, the impact that it has on the table in just a second, but we'll start with the top of the table um, when we look at the rankings here. Sivasspor are in first place, the lone leaders with 24 points. Then we have Trabzonspor and Basakshi here in second and third place with 22 points. And then we have two teams with 21 points. Those are Fenerbahce in fourth and Besiktas in fifth. Um, the goal differential here uh, playing uh, the part. Then we have a couple of teams on 19 points, actually. We have uh, Malatya Spor, 
um, Alanya, Sport, and Galtz, right? All on 19 points. And then there's a three point drop off to Gustepe, who are on 16, and Gaziantep are also on 16 points. Then we have two teams on 14 points with Denizli Sport and Riza Sport. Of course, those teams faced off this weekend. And then Gensterberly are out of the relegation zone right now. They are now on 13 points. Uh, the same points as Konya Spore and Kasim Pasha are on 12 points just above the relegation zone. And then Antalya Spore have found themselves dropping into the relegation zone with Gensterberly uh, climbing out. But they're still on 12 points too. Same as Kasim Pasha but uh, worse goal differential. And then Ankara Guju are in 17th place with 9 and Kayseri Spore are still rock bottom with 7 points. So um, yeah, uh, we've spoken about it a little bit already but next week there's a one match in particular that i think many people will be looking forward to but let's quickly look at the schedule for next week on friday gensterbili take on yeni malatya spore on saturday we have sivaspor hosting kasim pasha chaikorize spore hosting konya spore alanya spore hosting ankara guju and the gustepe hosting fenerbahce and that will probably still be without a striker for fenerbahce in a Pretty difficult away game, so uh, two back-to-back -back away games for Fenerbahce in this uh, period where they have some injuries to deal with. It couldn't have come at a worse time, I think, so that's uh, definitely going to be another test for them. Then we have on Sunday, we have Gaziantep hosting Denizli Spor, Bashakshi here hosting Antalya Spor, and uh, the big match... Trabzonspor, Galatasaray, the main event for Sunday, and then on Monday, Besiktas will host Kayseri Spor. So the big match to look forward to is most definitely Trabzonspor Galatasaray. How will Galatasaray cope with uh, a potential uh, midweek disaster too in the Champions League? They have to win against Brugge to go through to the next round. If they draw, uh, then uh, they are out of Europe pretty much, unless they manage to get uh, something against Paris Saint-Germain in Paris on the final match day. So Brugge really, uh, uh, sorry, Galatasaray really have to get a win against Brugge because of goal differential uh, and the first match ending in a nil-nil draw. So, for example, a 1-1 draw, that wouldn't give them any anything either. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be tough for Galatasaray coming off this loss against Bashakshi here and now, of course, heading into next week, the big match in Trabzon. Um, yeah, difficult times, uh, difficult games for Galtzrai, for sure. So, that's what we're looking forward to the most, I think, uh, for next week. And, of course, we have the midweek European matches. Uh, Besiktas are in action against Wolverhampton, um, if I'm not mistaken. And, like uh, we already pointed out, Galtzrai will be playing against Club Brugge at the Turk Telecom Arena. Trabzonspor are playing against Basel, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Getafe. Getafe, oh sorry. And then of course Bashakchi here are playing against, I believe, Borussia Mönchengladbach, but I could be mistaken as my dog is winding up for her walk. Anyway, that'll do it for this week's uh, episode of Football a la Turca. Thank you very much for listening. Jakub, Umut, thank you guys very much for joining me. And Uzer, of course, who already checked out a little bit ago. Thank you very much for joining us. And we hope to be back next week with the man of the law, Burak Sezgin. Uh, and hopefully there'll be plenty to talk about again so, so he can and uh, pass his judgment. But uh, guys, thank you very much. And uh, to you all, thank you for listening. And see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye.